0: From Podcast One. Coming up in this episode of Target USA. The nuclear situation between the U.S. and Russia is worse than you think.
1: The risk of accident, mistake, miscalculation has risen over the last uh, few years.
0: Steve Andreessen, a consultant for the Nuclear Threat Initiative, puts it all into stark perspective.
1: In a crisis that could lead to an accident or a mistake or miscalculation that could conceivably trigger nuclear use.
0: Coming up on this edition of Target USA. The National Security Podcast. From WTOP in Washington, D.C., this is Target USA. this is target usa the national security podcast i'm jj green the u.s started nuclear talks with russia this week in vienna they've concluded one round of the talks on one of the weightiest issues of our time what to do with their nuclear weapons and what the rules regarding them will be moving forward but steve Andreessen. A consultant with the Nuclear Threat Initiative tells us there are several very concerning issues, including the talk of the Trump administration trying to restart nuclear testing.
1: The issue of nuclear testing and whether to resume testing uh, has been in the works for about a year with the Trump administration indicating over a year ago that it had concerns about whether Russia and possibly China were adhering to their moratorium on nuclear testing and actually the only state that has conducted nuclear weapons tests since the comprehensive test ban treaty was signed in 1996 by the United States, the UK, France, Russia and China uh, has been North Korea since 1998. So there has been a lengthy moratorium on testing and Also, a year ago, when the Trump administration suggested that Russia and China might not be adhering to the moratorium, there was reports that a small group of Republican senators were actually urging the administration to unsign the Comprehensive Test Ban Treaty, which has never entered into force. The U.S. Senate failed to ratify the treaty in 1999, But there's over 180 signatories, 160 countries that have ratified, and it really has established a global norm against testing. Yeah. So if you fast forward to this month, JJ, uh, the Post reported that the administration was considering conducting a nuclear test to create negotiating leverage with Russia and China to reach a new agreement on limiting nuclear arms. And so you've got a second rationale that's been introduced since the charge of Russian noncompliance a year ago, which is the U.S. needs to resume testing to create negotiating leverage for a new nuclear agreement with Russia and China. So I would say the bottom line is at a minimum, the Trump administration is positioning itself to make the case for unsigning CTBT and perhaps resuming nuclear testing in Nevada claiming it is a response to Russian and Chinese noncompliance or that it will enhance U.S. negotiating leverage or both.
0: Okay, so briefly, your view on that, whether that should or could happen?
1: Well, first of all, there's no good technical reason for the United States to conduct nuclear weapons tests. At present and really since the U.S. moratorium in 1992 and the beginning of the test ban negotiations in 1993, we've been assuring the safety and reliability of our nuclear weapons stockpile uh, in the absence of nuclear testing using what we call a science-based stockpile stewardship program, which includes a number of tools to test the safety and reliability of the stockpile without nuclear testing. So every year since the late 1990s, the three head of our nuclear weapons laboratories and the Secretary of Defense and Energy have basically uh, certified the safety and reliability of the stockpile. And that process has been ongoing now for over 20 years in the absence of testing. And the most recent letters from the lab directors and the Secretary of Defense and Energy all attest to the fact that there's no technical reason to resume testing. In terms of the negotiating leverage argument, JJ, uh, I actually think it would work to our great disadvantage for the United States to resume nuclear testing. And the reason I say that is if the U.S. were to resume nuclear testing, Russia and China would almost certainly follow with nuclear tests of their own. And it would open the door to not only testing by advanced nuclear weapon states. And again, Russia and China are also signatories to the CTBT, although again, the treaty hasn't entered into force. They have been following the moratorium on testing, at least to a large extent. uh, We believe they have been. But also Indian Pakistan and possibly North Korea and possibly Iran.
0: All right. So um, the bottom line is you don't think it's a good idea. Um, And um, I also hear you saying you don't think it's likely to happen.
1: Well, I wouldn't say that, that it's unlikely to happen. And, And the reason I say that is the Trump administration, I mean, lurking under the surface of all of this, Uh, that is the story about a possible resumption of nuclear testing and unsigning the CTBT, uh, is a concern that the Trump administration, uh, having withdrawn from a series of treaties and agreements over the past three years, the Iran nuclear deal, uh, the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty, the Open Skies Treaty, that there's an agenda to remove all constraints from U.S. nuclear forces Uh, and I think that does put in jeopardy the nuclear test ban treaty. I take very seriously the stories over the past year of Russian noncompliance that are being made by the Trump administration, because it's exactly those kinds of charges that provided the rationale for withdrawing from the INF treaty and the open skies treaty. And I also take very seriously this notion that they're trying to create negotiating leverage. I think it's a mistaken notion. Uh, But I think there's some in the administration that believe it to be true. So I actually do think the CTBT is in jeopardy. And I also think the new START agreement limiting strategic nuclear forces, which expires in February, is in jeopardy of not being extended. So we are literally months away from not having constraint regimes on nuclear forces.
0: Okay. so this week, the U.S. and Russian diplomats got together or getting together to discuss Um, the, that very situation you're talking about. So just briefly, what do we know about that?
1: Well, uh, just Monday and Tuesday in Vienna, the chief U.S. arms control negotiator and his Russian counterpart got together, uh, really for the first time in months to engage on issues of strategic stability, including whether or not to extend the new START treaty, and, uh, the administration, that is the Trump administration, uh, made great fanfare of also wanting China to show up at that Vienna meeting, which they did not. So it was only U S and Russian arms controllers who attended. Uh, the good news is that they did agree to meet again, uh, at a minimum. And they, uh, basically established three working groups, uh, to have expert level discussions, Uh, before the two U.S. and Russian arms control negotiators get together. Mm -hmm. Uh, The bad news is uh, there's not a lot of reason to be optimistic about these talks as it relates to the future of the new START agreement. Uh, This is an agreement that was concluded in the Obama administration limiting U.S. and Russian nuclear forces. And to begin, the president has almost from day one uh, expressed his displeasure Uh, With the new start agreement and as you know, he's taken a not invented here approach In opposing other agreements that he's refused to extend or withdrawn from Uh, So there's a certain hostility from the president and also members of his administration to new start and the US negotiator has explicitly said that in the absence of China agreeing to a new three-part deal Uh, The U.S. is unlikely to extend the New START Treaty. And of course, China is not a part of the negotiations. So that does not bode well.
0: All right. So assess the risk to the United States right now from other nuclear powers.
1: Well, of course, uh, Russia in particular and its nuclear forces uh, is an existential threat. Uh, to the United
0: and how, States. And how, how are they an existential threat? What, what, is it, what about
1: it? Is, is it the weapons they have, or is it the mentality? Excellent. So, uh, first of all, uh, the notion of a bolt from the blue attack uh, emanating from Russia or any other nuclear weapon state against the United States, I think the risk of that kind of an attack has gone down. But I would argue that the risk of accident mistake miscalculation has risen over the last uh, few years or even the past decade. Uh, We do not have the kind of engagement with Russia in particular since the Ukraine uh, crisis in 2014. Uh, We don't have the kind of routine engagement on crisis management dialogue. Uh, We don't have the kind of routine engagement uh, on arms control. The regimes that provided transparency, confidence and verification, like the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty and the Open Skies Treaty, which allowed overflights, are basically going away. And as I said, the last constraint regime on nuclear forces, the New START Treaty, is at risk of expiring. So you know, basically what's happening is we're losing insights into U.S. and Russia nuclear forces from each other, the kind of insights that not only provided limitations, but confidence building, transparency, and even a modicum of trust. And in a crisis, that could lead to uh, an accident or a mistake or miscalculation that could conceivably trigger nuclear use.
0: Okay, so looking at the other countries that are risk factors, there's, there's, there's North Korea, obviously, uh, and I was told some years ago, I think it was former Joint Chiefs Chairman uh, Mullen, who said that um, North Korea is actually building its program, it's, it's testing its program on the fly. And you mentioned the possibility of accidents uh, and the lack of information. Um, the opaque nature of North Korea is, it appears to me to be a perfect format for some kind of serious accident. What, what, what are your concerns about that when it comes to North Korea?
1: Well, with respect to North Korea, they definitely have a program to enhance their nuclear weapons capabilities. And we've seen that uh, program both in terms of the development of nuclear weapons, but also ballistic missiles Uh, over the last few years. And of course, uh, just two years ago, we had a situation where the nuclear threats flying between uh, North Korea and Washington uh, were quite blunt and quite worrisome. Um, Of course, the actual rhetoric arguably has gone down as uh, President Trump and his counterpart in North Korea Uh, have been engaged in personal diplomacy. But while that diplomacy has gone on, so has the North Korean nuclear program. So, I mean, North Korea is a real threat for a couple of reasons. One is that we don't have a lot of insight into how they think about nuclear weapons and nuclear weapons use. And, of course, the Korean Peninsula remains a very dangerous piece of geography. Uh, with U.S., South Korean, and North Korean forces facing off over the 38th parallel. And right now, dialogue between North Korea and South Korea is heading downhill, uh, and the U.S.-North Korean talks don't appear to be making a lot of progress. So, you know, this is a case where uh, a shooting war uh, is certainly uh, a possibility. Um, and the use of nuclear weapons uh, should not be ruled out, in particular not knowing a lot about why the North Koreans would use nuclear weapons in a crisis.
0: You served as director for defense policy and arms control for the National Security Council from the early 90s to 2001 or so. How much, if at all, has your concern about the risk of nuclear war in the world changed since then, from then to now?
1: So I am more concerned about the risk of the use of nuclear weapons today than I was during my service at the White House during all eight years of the Clinton administration. And there's a number of reasons for that. Uh, First of all, I am concerned about the U.S.-Russia dynamic, the lack of engagement, the increasing tension, and the fraying of the kind of nuclear constraints uh, that have helped keep the peace uh, between the U.S.-Soviet Union and the U.S.-Russia for many decades. So that's point one. Point two, I am concerned about the spread of nuclear weapons to countries like North Korea. And the uncertainties about whether or not North Korea might use nuclear weapons in a crisis. So that's a concern.
0: Sorry, I'll, we'll get back to number three. But let me just ask, have you you've seen evidence that uh, the, the, the nuclear technology is spreading still? I mean, we know about North Korea and we know about Iran's pursuit, but are there other countries uh, involved in this uh, when you say spreading?
1: Well, thirdly, although it's not a new dynamic, the uh, regional uh, nuclear dynamics have not gotten any easier. Uh, And I point in particular to India and Pakistan, who each have nuclear programs that have advanced over the last two decades since my time of service in the Clinton White House. And of course, uh, India and Pakistan have fought four wars uh, over many decades, and they don't have the kind of early warning systems or command and control systems uh, that might help control or limit the possibility of nuclear escalation in a crisis. So that's a concern. And then finally, I mean, let's not forget, um, there's also the spread of nuclear weapons and materials and the technology for producing nuclear materials for weapons uh, that has gotten worse, not better in the last two decades. And that provides more opportunities for a non-state actor, uh, a terrorist group to actually get the material necessary for building a weapon or possibly even a weapon itself. So for all those reasons, I think the the risk of nuclear use, uh, I'm more concerned today than I was two decades ago.
0: I remember in the early 2000s or early to mid 2000s, there was a very robust program out there. And I think uh, NTI was actually involved in that to um, help collect some of this loose, quote unquote, nuclear material to prevent it from um, getting into the wrong hands. Is that still active and what's the state of it?
1: So uh, NTI has been quite active uh, advocating programs, uh, in particular, to reduce the amount of nuclear material in countries, in particular, highly enriched uranium that could be used uh, by a terrorist group, for example, if they had access to it in building a weapon. And uh, one of the Good news uh, stories is that the number of countries who actually have highly enriched uranium, in particular that material being used in civilian nuclear programs, has gone down. Uh, Having said that, uh, there's still a lot of nuclear material out there, and the technology for enriching uranium. Has spread to countries, uh, Iran being uh, the most recent example. And I should mention, when we were talking about nuclear risks, I mean, uh, we had seen some progress in the Obama administration. Uh, that is, the Iran nuclear agreement, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action that had been reached in the Obama era between Iran, the United States, and a number of European countries. Uh, basically to constrain uh, Iran's enrichment capabilities, which are the capabilities that could be used to produce nuclear material for a weapon. Um, But the Trump administration withdrew from that agreement. And some of the activities now that were limited by that agreement, Iran is now pursuing again. So that is another risk. As I say, the constraint regimes that take many years if not decades to build up are being torn down too quickly and there's no plan b excuse me mr president we have a situation someone is trying to acquire russian tactical weapons short-range battlefield i don't know what they are
0: sir al-qaeda has computed all the muslims killed in the past 50 years do you remember the video nti put out some years ago called last best chance it was about the, uh, the the threat of this material that's out there getting into the hands of terrorists and others. It came out uh, in the mid-2000s.
1: So NTI has done a couple of documentaries and, uh, how should I say, movie documentaries right. to illustrate this threat. And the one you're referring to, uh, I think, was a 45-minute yes. uh, documentary that basically outline how a terrorist group could get access to nuclear material and use it in a weapon and also get it into the united states gun type bomb like the one used in hiroshima
0: and how could it be transported small plane yeah i remember seeing that video and it could be driven to the it was chilling at the time uh, and thinking back on it now based on what you say You know, that feeling, I've got that feeling again, you know, because the world has changed a lot for the better since the mid-2000s, but it appears as though within the last couple of years, the breakdown of some of the things that we expected to be long-lasting safeguards against that kind of thing appear to be at risk, and some have just gone to the wind. Uh, I'm wondering if I'm uh, overstating this.
1: No, I think you're stating it exactly right. Uh, The trend line in particular over the past decade, uh, or the last five years, uh, to put a finer point on it, has not been positive. Uh, As I say, the United States and Russia still, for example, despite the fact that the Cold War is over 25 years ago, deploy hundreds of ballistic missiles uh, with uh, a couple of thousand warheads that can be launched and reach their targets in less than 30 minutes. In other words, we still have Cold War nuclear force postures uh, controlled uh, by a sole authority in the United States and Russia that can be launched and reach their targets in 30 minutes or less. And as I say, Uh, During the Cold War, we had a number of ways to engage uh, between the United States and the Soviet Union, a number of methods of dialogue, these arms control agreements that were put in place to provide limitations, transparency, accountability. And right now, there's very little dialogue, and the constraint regimes are going away. And in a crisis, that does raise the risk of an accident, mistake, miscalculation leading to nuclear use. So that's something we should all be concerned about. And as you rightly note, on top of that, the efforts to constrain Iran's nuclear program uh, have, uh, how should I say, faltered uh, on the U.S. withdrawal from that agreement. Uh, There appears to be very little progress in constraining North Korea's nuclear program. India and Pakistan, still a very tense situation. And the spread of material and the technology to make nuclear materials still gives terrorists opportunities to obtain material for a bomb. So for all those reasons, you're exactly right, JJ.
0: So I read a piece that you wrote with a colleague of yours in the Los Angeles Times recently, and uh, the quote is as follows. Ripping up agreements and walking away from them and mumbling vulgarities about New deals someday may define America first for someone. But in the next few years, without agreements in force, There will be instability and opportunities for Russia, China, and other U.S. adversaries to develop more destructive nuclear capabilities. Our allies have to wonder if we have completely lost our minds. Have we?
1: Well, there appears to be very little in the way of strategic thinking or hard-headed strategic calculus of the U.S. national interest right now in the area of controlling nuclear weapons and materials. Uh, In that op-ed that I wrote with my former colleague uh, across a number of administrations, Richard Clark, I mean, basically what we said is a hard-headed assessment of the national security terrain should have basically concluded that these agreements still have value Uh, and they combine the kind of transparency and predictability along with real limits that can be verified that have succeeded in tempering arms races. So abandoning these commitments and the Trump administration has already exited the intermediate range nuclear forces treaty limiting short and medium range missiles in Europe and globally. They've abandoned the Iran nuclear deal Uh, just last month. They withdrew from the open skies agreement that simply gives our adversaries leeway to engage in the kind of activity that was previously restricted or banned uh, that it's in our interest to control. Uh, And the reason it's being done is there is a view That America is better off unconstrained in the area of nuclear forces than to constrain itself or constrain others. Uh, I think that's a mistaken notion.
0: Wow. I want to point out that I've been covering this topic for about 15 years now. uh, And that's certainly nothing compared to the amount of time you and your esteemed colleagues who've actually gone to college to learn about these things. I've just been doing this as a national security journalist. But I can tell just from my own reporting and interactions with people around the world, there is a palpable unrest out there about everything that has to do with the U.S. and Russia right now not the least of which was Russia's meddling in the election before and attempts to try to meddle again, but what appears to be a Russian, um, I guess, renewed interest in um, engaging with the U.S. uh, in a hostile way. And I'm wondering if you think that there is a way to fix that before something seriously bad happens.
1: The short answer is there's no substitute for dialogue to begin with. Even during the Cold War, at times of great tension, Washington and Moscow or Washington and its NATO allies and Moscow had ongoing dialogue to help understand red lines, to help define areas where confidence building and transparency might be agreed to help limit the most dangerous capabilities, whether they were nuclear or conventional forces of the other side. Uh, We had these guardrails that had been built up over many years to help manage the relationship during the Cold War. And if you fast forward from the collapse of the Soviet Union to where we are today, we have fewer mechanisms of dialogue The guardrails are going away, and we've had renewed tensions that are quite troublesome uh, from the standpoint of Russian behavior. Uh, You rightly mentioned the meddling in U.S. elections, but prior to that, the uh, meddling uh, in Ukraine, the annexation of Crimea and the Russian engagement uh, in eastern Ukraine, All of that has made our allies in Europe extremely nervous about Russian motivations. And by the way, that is only exacerbated by what they see as an uneven policy of the Trump administration in terms of supporting NATO, but also engaging Russia. So that kind of uncertainty uh, and lack of clarity, uh, clear goals and objectives, Uh, that's a recipe for nervousness, if not instability, and as I say, in a worst case, an accident, mistake, or miscalculation uh, leading to conflict, including on one end of the scale, nuclear conflict.
0: Thank you so much for taking time to do this and for the education that you've given today uh, and, of course, advancing the narrative on this and um, making this understandable and digestible for people. We appreciate that. Any any final thought?
1: Well, JJ, I just want to thank you. I really appreciate the time you've taken and uh, happy to be with you today and uh, happy to continue our conversation uh, in the weeks and months going forward.
0: Yes, let's do that. Let's keep the dialogue going. Thank you so much for today. Thank you. That's it for this episode of Target USA. Coming up next. North Korea, they're upset with South Korea and the US, and they're falling back into their old habit of threatening their neighbors and the West. And Joe Detrani, former special envoy to the Six-Party Talks with North Korea, says that could be a serious problem.
1: Not only do they have uh, missiles that could deliver if you will, a nuclear warhead to South Korea, to Japan, but even to uh, even to Guam, but, but also to the United States.
0: So the question is now, after all the summit meetings, all of the get togethers, all of the handshakes and all of the letters, what can be done to talk North Korea down this time? Coming up on the next episode of Target USA. If you have any questions or comments about the program, send me an email at jgreen at WTOP.com. That's the letter J, the color green, one word, at whiskey, tango, Oscar, Papa, dot com. That's jgreen at WTOP.com. Also, follow our podcast on Twitter. We're at Podcast. That's at Tango Uniform Sierra Alpha Podcast. We encourage you to subscribe, of course, to our podcast. And if you want more national security information, sign up for my newsletter. It's called Inside the Skiff. There we'll give you more information about what's happening in security around the world. You can sign up at WTOP.com slash alerts. I'm J.J. Green, and this is Target USA, the national security podcast now.